Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew 28. Amen. What a beautiful presence of the Lord is in this house. Amen. Amen. I said it this morning, and I'll say it once again, what a privilege it is to be here in Webster with you this weekend. I uh, enjoyed myself this morning, and it is so good to be here. And again, I honor your pastor and Sister Hughes for the uh, opportunity to be here with you this weekend. And I do not take that lightly, but appreciate their kindness and confidence in allowing me to be here this weekend. Amen. I also honor Brother Landon and Sister Sarah. Enjoyed lunch with them this afternoon, and I appreciate them and their kindness very much as well. Amen. Book of Matthew, chapter number 28. Amen. How many wants to hear what the Lord has to say to us in the house tonight? Amen. It's a back-to-school service, and so um, I'm going to try my best to minister to the young people and maybe the not-so-young people that are going back to school. For schools, not just for young folks. Amen. And um, I believe the Lord wants to speak to us. This may not be a typical message for a uh, back-to-school service, but I do feel confident that this is the direction the Lord would have us to go tonight. And I've learned that it's best to always follow the leading of the Lord. For uh, Jesus prayed it himself, not my will, but thy will be done. And if it was good enough for him to pray, I say it's good enough for us to pray as well. Amen. I want the will of God to come to pass in this house. Matthew chapter number 28, verse number, or excuse me, Matthew chapter number 27. I'm getting ahead of myself. Matthew 27 and verse number 57. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. Now verse or chapter 28, verse number 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angels answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Verse number 6 says, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. For a few moments this evening, I want to preach to you on this thought, and with the help of the Holy Ghost, it will make sense in a few moments. But I preach to you today on this thought. We are beggars. We are beggars. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you lift your hands toward heaven? Can we lift our voices unto the Lord and ask Him to help us in this 
house tonight. God, we thank you for your great presence that has made itself known in the house today. I ask that your anointed word begin to minister to the hearts and lives of every young person in the building today. Let your spirit do a work in our hearts, O oh God. Let there be a breakthrough in our hearts, God. Tear down walls, break down barriers. Take us to a new dimension in our walk with you. Let there be an outpouring of your spirit. Let the Holy Ghost have its perfect will and way in this house tonight. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you believe God's going to answer your prayer, would you clap your hands one more time and give him praise for what he's going to do by faith. If you go ahead and preach, shout amen. God bless you. You may be seated. On February the 16th, 1546, the well-known German priest, professor, and theologian Martin Luther authored what would be his final writing on a small piece of paper. It wasn't read or discovered until after his death four days later. The last line of his note seemed to encapsulate the message of his life. It read very simply, we are beggars. This is true. Today, we generally tend toward using terms like homeless or bum or panhandler. But nevertheless, the word beggar is still very common. It's still very familiar to our vocabulary. Although the essence of the word's meaning has not changed, I found that the way it is defined has slightly changed over time. In Jewish culture of the New Testament era, a beggar is defined as someone who is poor, needy, and living in poverty. By the standards of their day, to be a beggar was to be penniless and underprivileged. To be a beggar was you had nothing, you gave nothing, and you held on to nothing. Yes, you sat on a curb. Yes, you rattled your cup. Yes, you pled for money to those that passed by. But that is not what defined you. In their day, you were defined by what life had dealt to you, not necessarily by what you did. However, as things often do, that definition has evolved over time. According to our dictionaries today, a beggar is defined as a person who makes their living by asking for money or food. Someone whose hardship calls them into a dumpster where they dig out an old filthy dented metal cup and with no shame whatsoever desperately ask passing strangers to drop something of value into their seemingly valueless life. You see, no longer are they defined by their poor destitute conditions as they once were, but now they are defined totally and completely by their actions. It's what they do that has become their reputation. How they behave has become how they are known. What they say has become their identity. 
And I understand that in essence the word still means the same as it did 2,000 plus years ago. But it is intriguing to me that society today draws their conclusion and defines meaning simply and solely by what they see on the surface. Rather than being called poor because you have nothing, you are now called a beggar because begging is just what they see you doing. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that it really doesn't matter what you believe, how much you know about God, or how long you've been coming to church, for it is what you do that matters. It is your actions that tell who you really are. It's how you live that determines what it is that you are called. What I mean is this. You cannot just say that you are a Christian, but you must live like you are a Christian. Let me take it a step further. You cannot just say you're an apostolic. You must live like you're an apostolic. Young person, you can't just say that you're Holy Ghost filled. You've got to live your life led and directed by the Holy Ghost. I believe with all of my heart that we need apostolic young people who can not only just quote, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we need apostolic young people marching into their classrooms and down their halls that have put that verse into practice in their life. Just need young people who can recite Acts 2.38. We need somebody who will obey and share Acts 2.38. Amen. Is this all right tonight? We, 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 we not only need young people that, that can quote, be ye holy, for I am holy, but more than that, uh, I hope you are living it in front of your family and in front of your friends. Man, we don't just need young people that can dance to the beat of the music. We need one that will declare worship is not just what I do on Sunday night back to school service, but it is how, who I am and it is how I live. I was created to praise my God. You see, a beggar is known and identified by his actions. You don't see him doing anything else. All you see is his loyalty to the curb and his cup. He devotedly gets himself up every morning with the same intention. Day after day, he faithfully returns to the streets. Time and time again, he unashamedly makes noise just to let the passing crowd know that he is still there. You see, for a beggar, regardless of weather or sickness, he can't afford to take a day off or to slack up. Therefore, he remains uncompromised in his commitment and his responsibility. A beggar is unaffected and unintimidated by what others may think or what others may say about him as they pass by. Because of how the beggar usually dresses and because of how he looks, he doesn't blend in with everybody else around him. He doesn't live like them. He doesn't act like them. He doesn't go to the same places that they go to because he is defending who he is. I've come to preach to young people tonight that there is a real, authentic apostolic, and they are known and identified also by their actions. 
You don't see them doing anything else or being anyone else. But they devotedly get themselves up every morning with the same intention to serve God. Sunday after Sunday, they faithfully return to their pew. They unashamedly make noise through their praise and through their worship just to let the enemy know that they are still here and they have still got a praise in their mouth. Regardless of weather, regardless of sickness, regardless of condition or circumstances, a real apostolic can afford to let up or slack off. Therefore, they remain uncompromised in their commitment toward God. A real apostolic is unaffected by what others say or what others think about the way that they live. For they are unintimidated of the devil's threats and lies. And because of how they look, they don't blend in with everybody else. They don't live like them. They don't act like them. And they don't go to the same places that everybody goes. Because a real apostolic is defending who God has called them to be. For if you are a beggar, you act like a beggar. But if you are an apostolic, you must act like an apostolic. But what you must also understand is not everybody who begs is a real beggar. There are two kinds of beggars, in my opinion. There are authentic beggars, and there are counterfeit beggars. An authentic beggar has pure motives and honest intentions. An authentic beggar does what he does out of duty and necessity. An authentic beggar only begs because that's what it takes to survive. But a counterfeit beggar has false motives and deceptive intentions. A counterfeit beggar does what he does out of greed and out of laziness. A counterfeit beggar only begs because of the benefits and the easy labor. Can I tell you today that there are two kinds of apostolics. A counterfeit apostolic has false motives and a bad spirit. Amen. Is this all right? You're getting quiet. You're making me nervous. A counterfeit apostolic does what he does only out of obligation and tradition. A counterfeit apostolic is only in it for the benefits. A counterfeit apostolic looks holy only when everybody else is watching. A counterfeit apostolic talks in tongues just to look the part. A counterfeit apostolic just shouts and dances just to blend in. But can I tell you, there are such a thing as authentic apostolics in this day and in this generation. For an authentic apostolic, they have pure motives and godly intentions. They do what they do out of obedience and dedication unto God. A real authentic apostolic lives holy because it's what Jesus said to do. An authentic apostolic talks in tongues because it is the evidence of being born of the Spirit. An authentic apostolic praises God out of thankfulness for all that he has done. Ladies and gentlemen, young person, hear me today. It's not enough that we just act like an apostolic. It must be who we are. It must be my identity. It must be who I am. For every human being is born into sin and shaping in iniquity. 
Therefore, it can be said that we all came into this world as spiritual beggars. After Cain had killed his brother in Genesis 4, God tells him that because of his sin, he would be a vagabond in the earth. A vagabond is listed as a synonym for the word beggar both of which have no fixed dwelling uh, or no place to call home, uh, and both of which are usually without the means of honest livelihood. They are, by man's standards, uh, worthless people of no value to society. Can I tell you in this house tonight in so many words, that was who I was before I met Jesus. Whereas Bartimaeus begged in a physical sense, my soul begged in a spiritual sense, for I had nothing to offer. I lived my life in hopelessness. I had no dwelling place. I roamed this world in sin. I accepted whatever was dropped into my cup. I was desperate for help. I was in dire need of God. I was, as Isaiah said, as one who is unclean and whose righteousness was as filthy rags. I was the bum holding out his cup and calling out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. You see, for a beggar, he never knows who it is that will stop and help him. Some people are in a hurry. Others are skeptical of him. Others will just downright ignore him. Others are just rude. But there, he just hopes and prays that someone will stop and have compassion on him. Ladies and gentlemen, the good news is that for a spiritual beggar, there is one who without fail will all always stop to supply the need of your soul. And when Jesus passes by, when that son of David, when the good Samaritan passes by, he doesn't just throw a coin or two into your cup, but he pours into your heart forgiveness. He pours into you salvation. He pours into you his mercy, his grace, and his love. He not only pours into you, but He picks you up out of the gutter. And He feeds you with His Word. He cleanses you with His Spirit. He clothes you in His righteousness. And He shelters you with His power. Of 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 8 says, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. Ladies and gentlemen, when you are born again of the water and of the Spirit, you are no longer labeled a lowly sinful beggar, but by the power of the Holy Ghost. The old song said, I am rich in faith. I'm rich in hope, and I am made rich in the love of God. Amen. And if you have never repented of your sins, if you have never been baptized in Jesus' name, if you have never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, can I tell you in this, in this house tonight that Jesus is passing by your curb, and He desires to fill your cup with salvation. You don't have to continue waving your help me sign at every temptation the enemy sends your way. You do not have to continue begging your way through life 
wondering uh, what pleasure or what high uh, will satisfy my soul. Uh, You don't have to continue seeking acceptance uh, in the lies and tricks of the devil. Uh, I believe that one dose, uh, one baptism of the Holy Ghost uh, will satisfy every longing. Uh, It'll quench every thirsting. Uh, It'll satisfy the desire of your soul. May not have a cup to rattle before the Lord tonight, but can I tell you, you do have a voice that you can raise. Therefore, somebody in this house tonight ought to get the attention of the Master. Somebody ought to lift your voice in praise and say, God, I refuse to let you pass me by, but I'm going to get your attention, for I am in need of what you have. Once we've been born again and filled with the Holy Ghost, once we, once we have become receivers of God's grace and salvation, once we have traded in our rags for His riches, does that mean we are no longer beggars? Some would say yes, as we are raised from spiritual poverty and adopted by His name as a child of the King. Romans 6 and 4 says of salvation, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Hear me very carefully tonight. I in no way intend to contradict Scripture or twist words into meaning what I want them to mean. However, I do believe that the Bible also teaches us, uh, even after we've been baptized into Christ uh, and filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, we are to never lose our beggarly nature. What I mean is this, uh, for even in our salvation, uh, we are not self-supporting or self-sufficient. Even in our salvation, we don't have it all together, but we are being held together. Even in our salvation, we live at the mercy of someone greater than ourselves. We can only please God by the grace that He affords to us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Young people, we are to live our lives in such a manner that God gets the glory, but I get the grace. Everything I do, everywhere I go, I am to live my life in the manner that God gets all the glory, but I am still a recipient of the grace of God. If I could be so plain as to tell you I am not so saved that I somehow believe that my good works or my talents have saved me. Ladies and gentlemen, it is only by the grace of God that we are saved. Only by His grace. He's given to me everything my soul desires. But yet even still, I need Him. Don't get me wrong. I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. I've been made a royal child of the King. Yet there is still something down deep inside of me that continually longs for more of the very thing I've received from His hand before. 
beggar in me cries out for more of him. No, I don't look the same. I don't have the same motives that I used to. I don't, I don't go the same places. I'm not driven by the same things. I don't beg of everyone that passes me by. But I am still a beggar. For I still need the power of God. I still need His grace. I still need His mercy. I still need His power. Our scripture text, and that was all my introduction. I'm, I'm finally getting to my sermon tonight. But it doesn't matter how long I preach, my sermon's short. The man we read in our scripture text, Joseph of Arimathea, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the very group of men that wanted Jesus crucified and gone. But we find that he loved Jesus and he followed him. In fact, he did his best to stop the Jews from pushing their agenda of Jesus' death. But he couldn't win. He couldn't convince the Jews to let go of their agenda. He couldn't sway them. Therefore, Jesus was nailed to a cross and left to die. Upon hearing that Jesus had, as one gospel writer wrote, given up the ghost. And as Jesus had breathed his final breath on the cross... We read that Joseph boldly barges into Pilate's palace. And Matthew and Luke say that Joseph begins to beg for the body of Jesus. He begins to beg for the body of Jesus. For the heart, how does this apply to me? How does this affect us today? You see, Paul later wrote to the church in Corinth after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And Paul said this to the church, Now ye are the body of Christ. In other words, Jesus himself is gone. Now his church is now his body. And I've come to preach that just as Joseph begged for the body of Jesus in Pilate's hall, there must be something that arises within this generation at the beginning of this school year that says, regardless of what I go through, regardless of what I face, I've got to have the body of Christ. I've still got to have the church. I told you it's going to be a little bit different. I'm just giving you what the Lord gave me. I've still got to have my pastor. I've still got to have my youth pastor. I've still got to have my youth group. I need the one sitting next to me. For I've got to have the body of Christ. But this is where a lot of young people have messed up and gone wrong. They think that knowing about Him and still being able to feel Him And a one-time experience with Him, they think, is all there is to this thing. They get a relationship with Him, but they lose their desire and their connection to the body of Christ. I rise on this Sunday night to declare, without the body, we cannot survive. I know it sounds old-fashioned, but that's all right. Without the church, you cannot survive. You cannot make it by yourself. You've got to have the body of Christ. You need the church to help you and sustain you in the struggles of life. 
Let me preach to the young people for a moment. But the heart, you don't understand. My church doesn't sing all the songs that every other church sings. It doesn't matter. It's still the body of Christ. But the heart, my church doesn't have a steeple. It doesn't matter. It's still the body of Christ. But the heart, my, my, our youth group's not as big as other youth groups. It doesn't matter. It's still the body of Christ. With a heart, you're from Oklahoma. You're not familiar. Our church has been through some stuff. It doesn't matter. It's still the body of Christ. No, but the heart, you don't understand still. My, our church has been beaten up on. Hell has attacked our church. Hell has come against us. Hell's tried to defeat us. It does not matter. It is still the body of Christ. Let me show you something. Jesus himself had been beaten. Jesus himself had been whipped to the point that he was not even recognizable anymore. But Joseph did not let the wounds, Joseph did not let the bruises, he did not let the blood turn him away. But he looked past all the imperfections of the body and said, in spite of the wounds, in spite of the condition, in spite of the imperfections, I've got to have his body. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Church doesn't have to be perfect. None of us have got it all together. But if we are in the body, we've got to stay with the body. So Pilate grants permission unto Joseph. I, I need somebody to help me. Hey, but right there, I don't know your name. Will you come help me? I want you to get to sitting on the front row. You get picked on. Come here. Will you help me? What's your name? Asia. Asia. Well, that's some, that's some slick back-to-school shoes right there. Do they have any, any in, in green? I'm just playing. Joseph goes to Pilate. And upon begging for the body of Jesus. Come on over here so you can see me. Come here. Pilate grants unto Joseph permission. Him to give Jesus a proper burial. And the Bible tells us that Joseph goes to Calvary and he lowers the body of Jesus down from the cross. And Joseph takes Jesus. Don't you just lay down right here on that sheet? Jesus takes. Or, let me get my story straight. I know what I'm talking about. Just hang on. Joseph takes the body of Jesus. The Bible says he begins wrapping it in white, fine linen. As a part of their custom, they, they sprinkle spices on the body and then wrap him up in a white cloth. And Joseph, this follower of Jesus, as one gospel writer, I believe it was, that wrote it, he, this secret disciple. Desiring for the body of Christ. He picks up his master. Some of you are nervous, but you ain't near as nervous as him. I can't tell you that right now. Joseph picks up the body of his master. And begins carrying Jesus to the tomb where he will be buried. 
Can you imagine as Joseph limps under the load, making his way to the garden where he will be buried? Can you imagine the mockery that he endures? Can you imagine the crowd that says, what is he doing? What has gotten into him? Such a dignified man. Such a prominent man in society. Yet he's doing something as foolish as carrying that man named Jesus on his shoulder. I can see it now as people laughed and made fun of his desire. Can I tell somebody, God's looking for a young person in this generation that is willing to endure the shame. Willing to endure the mockery and stand among the crowd and say if nobody else will be a part of this I will carry the body you can make fun of me if you want to classmates can make fun of me if that's what they choose but he's my master and I've got a responsibility to carry his body I'm not sure if I'm all right. Now you know why I picked the little guy. For if nobody else believes, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I won't bow. I won't bend. I'll keep carrying the body. If nobody else believes, you've got to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. I'll carry the body. I'll endure the shame. I'll go through the mockery. It's who I am. It's my calling. I'll carry the body. I want you to notice, Joseph did not call for a servant. Joseph did not call for someone else. The Bible says he was a rich man. He had the resources. He had the means. He didn't call for someone else. To carry the body for him. He's about to die. I'm going to let you down, all right? We're both about to die. Thank you, bud. You got the mental picture, all right? He could have called for somebody else to do his dirty work. But perhaps Joseph said, no, he's my master. I will carry him for myself. Young person, it's got to come down to this. He's not just mom and dad's master. This is not just mom and dad's church. This is not just their saving gospel. But this is mine. He's my king. He's my master. This is my church. And I can't depend on somebody else to carry him. I can't depend on somebody else to get connected to the body for me. Joseph, you've got to do this for yourself. You've got to carry the body for yourself. For if nobody else will worship, I'll carry the body and I'll worship. If nobody else will pray, I'll carry the body and I'll pray. Young person, I'm not, just, I'm not preaching to the adults tonight. I'm preaching to you. It's not just stuff that the adults do and we are exempt from. For if nobody else teaches Bible studies, I'll teach Bible studies. 
but I'll carry the body. Nobody else fasts anymore. Nobody else gets out in the aisle and dances in the presence of God. I'll carry the body and I'll dance and I'll worship. For he's my master. He's my king. And I've got to have his body. I can see it as Joseph struggles his way to the garden underneath the weight of the load. I can see him as the the blood spills onto his clothing. I can see it now as he begins to bear the marks of his very master. And while the opinions of others might try to get to him, get him to lay aside the body, I don't need that anymore. That's a thing of the past. That's a thing of yesterday. That's a thing for the previous generation. That's not something I need myself anymore. Maybe as Joseph carried that body on his shoulders, he remembered the words of Jesus. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. And with the remembrance of Jesus' words running through his mind, maybe Joseph said, I know it's a load. I know it's cumbersome. I know it's inconvenient sometimes. I know it's hard to come to the house of God Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday and worship God every time. And I know it's hard to pray every day and fast and be faithful. And I know it's hard serving God sometimes. But I do remember what Jesus said. That on the third day... He will rise again. Therefore, maybe Joseph just made up in his mind. If I'll just keep doing my part and carry the body on the third day, there's going to be a revival. If I can just keep doing my part, if I just do everything I know to do and get this thing going like it's supposed to be going, on the third day, Jesus said, I will rise again. Young person, you keep living for God with everything you got within you. It may be hard. It may be difficult. Science may try to talk you out of it. Popular opinion may try to talk you out of it. Political correctness might try to talk you out of it. But you make up in your mind, if I can just do my part and carry the body, there's going to be a revival sooner or later, Jesus. Sooner or later, there's going to be a resurrection of that which was dead. If I can just do my part and carry the body of Christ. Somebody lift your hands to the Lord in this house right now. Somebody cry out to the Lord right now, God, don't let me lose my desire for the body of Christ. I know it's a little bit different for a Sunday night back to school service, but Holy Ghost sent me to tell some young person that whatever you do, wherever life takes you, you've got to stay connected to the body. There's got to be something in you that longs for the body of Christ. I'm, clo- I'm closing quickly. For the piano player, you can come. For Joseph's deep down desire for the body stemmed totally and completely from his deep love for Jesus himself. The reason he was willing to endure the shame, the reason he was willing to bear the heavy load, the reason why he was willing to go against the grain and do 
what no one else was willing to do. The reason, the reason he could carry such a load was because he loved this man named Jesus. And his love for him then produced a love for his body. Young person, what I'm preaching is you cannot have the church without him. And you cannot have him without his church. You can be faithful to the house of God. You can be at every youth service. You can be at every fun night. You can be at every Sunday night, Sunday morning. You can be faithful to the body. But I ask you, what is your motivation? Is it to just blend in? Is it just to look the part? Is it just to act like a good Pentecostal? Or does your connection to the body stem for a deep down genuine love? For this man named Jesus. The entire reason why Joseph wanted the body of Christ. Was because he loved him. It was because he followed him. It was because he believed his words. In person, I I know it's simple tonight. But what I'm trying to get across is you've got to get a deep down love. For him. For if you can get a deep down desire to serve him, nothing will be able to stop you. The laughs, the mockery, the ridicule from classmates and teachers, perhaps family, it won't distract you, it won't cause you to. Discard the body alongside the road. Leave it for someone else to pick up at another time. And you follow your own desires, your own pleasures, and the things of this world. For if you can get a deep down love for Him, you'll endure the marks. I'll suffer the shame. For I love. And I need Him. We are beggars. This is true. For after all this time, I still need Him. Hands lifted all over this building right now. There's a touch of the Holy Ghost sweeping through this house right now. I wonder if there's a young person that will step out from your pew and say on this Sunday night back to school service as I make my way into another school year, as I prepare to step into my classrooms and walk down the hallways of my school, I have determined that I am I'm not going to blend in with the crowd. I'm not going to go along with what everybody else is doing. I'm not going to be influenced by the Opinion of the day, the spirit of the age. But I'm going to commit myself all over again to this man named Jesus. For it is him that I love. It is him that I need. 
And my connection to the body of Christ must be a direct result of my deep down love for Him. Come on right now all over this building. Jesus, I love you. I said there's young people coming. I want to now... I wonder now if there's adults and parents and grandparents and elders that would begin to flood this altar area right now. Oh, my God. My God, there's a touch of the Holy Ghost in this house right now.